Hey, I'm Pastor Jeff Dawes, lead pastor here at Stockbridge Community Church. I just want to say thank you for joining us here online. It is our prayer today that today's message would be helpful and meaningful to your life. If you're in the South Atlanta area, I would personally like to invite you to come to one of our three services on Sunday at 9 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 12 p.m. We're located at 4401 Highway 155 North in Stockbridge, Georgia. You may visit our website for more information at sccview.net. Again, that's sccview.net. Thanks again for listening. I hope that you have a wonderful day. Well, good morning, Stockbridge Community Church. We haven't met yet. My name's Brandon Keller. I've been around here for about 12 years or so. Pastor Jeff's not here today, so he asked me to uh, come speak to you. So that's what I get an opportunity to do today. So as uh, my little disclaimer, I am not an ordained pastor, so buckle up. This could get crazy. So here we go. Anybody ever heard that phrase coming from the back seat? Are we there yet? How much further? I got to go to the bathroom. Are we there yet? Right? Has anybody ever heard that on a road trip? Yes. Maybe it was your spouse. Maybe it was your kids in the back seat. But somebody at some point was asking you. And as a dad, I try to use logic and like, it is exactly 75 miles from the destination. We are currently doing 80 miles an hour, which means it'll take roughly 56 minutes to get there. And like, they don't seem to understand that logic, so they just keep saying, are we there yet? I remember growing up when I was a little kid, I used to watch the Smurfs on Saturday morning. Anybody else watch the Smurfs on Saturday morning? Yes, good, my, my people here. Whenever we watched the Smurfs, Whenever the Smurfs went on a journey, do you guys remember they'd go on a journey and Papa Smurf would kind of lead the charge, walk in? Uh, by the way, if you're under 30, Google Smurfs when you get home. But um, they'd go on a journey, and, and, and whenever Papa Smurf was leading, there'd always be like the Smurf in the back. He's like, Papa Smurf, how much further? Papa Smurf would be calm and loving. Not much further now. And then the second time, the guy would be like, hey, Papa, how much further? Not far now. And like the third time, they're like, how much further? It's a lot farther, right? I mean, Papa Smurf would kind of like lose his mind. Finally, I always liked it that Papa Smurf could lose his cool with all the Smurfs. Um, I feel like that would happen a lot. But believe it or not, there is a guy that I'm going to talk about today in the Old Testament, Moses, who had it even worse than Papa Smurf or even you on that long road trip to Florida with people going, are we there yet? So let me, let me kind of set the stage for you. Back, back, Old Testament thing. The Israelites had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. God's people were slaves to the Egyptians for 400 years. And they prayed to God every day to be delivered from slavery from the Egyptians. For 400 years, generation after generation after generation of people praying to God, please let us not be slaves to the Egyptians any longer. So finally, God sends Moses. And through God's power, Moses convinces the Pharaoh to finally set the Israelites free. 
And this is after all these plagues, right? He's sending down locusts and frogs and turning the river red and finally killing all the firstborn Egyptians. If you don't know all that, just watch the Ten Commandments. It'll sum it all up for you. All of these terrible things, finally, the Pharaoh decides to let the Israelites go. And the Israelites are so excited because for over 400 years, they've been hearing about God's promised land. This is the land that Abraham was promised by God that, you know, all his people would be able to be at. So they knew they shouldn't be in Egypt. They knew they should be in the promised land. So for 400 years, they've been praying about this to happen. And finally, the Pharaoh lets them go. And the Bible says 600,000 men left Egypt. They only counted men in the Old Testament. But anyway, 600,000 men. Most scholars believe it was about 2 million people after you add up wives and childrens and girlfriends and whatever else they had going on back then. Plus you had all their stuff, right? They got like, you know, bird cages and alpacas and llamas and ostriches and whatever kind of crazy stuff. They all have their camelbacks on because they're going to the desert. Whatever they had, they're taking all, two million people leaving Egypt at one time. And God is providing for them the whole time. They cross, the, they part the seas, right? They all walk across the seas. The seas come in, kill all the Egyptians that were chasing them. They see all this awesome stuff that God has done to deliver them after 400 years of slavery. They've been delivered. And so they're setting off to the promised land. And that's where we're going to pick up the story in Exodus 16.1. You can see this on the screen behind me. It said, The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month, 45 days, after they had come out of Egypt, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Are we there yet? 400 years they've been praying to leave. 45 days later, we're going to starve to death out here. This is ridiculous. They just saw God perform all these amazing miracles to get them out of Egypt, and they've already started to doubt God because 45 days later, they're hungry. A couple weeks ago, my family stopped into Orlando on the way back from vacation and we went to downtown Disney, now called Disney Springs. Uh, since it's really fancy now, they had to change the name. So we were walking through Disney Springs, and it was kind of early in the morning, and there wasn't a lot of people there yet. And I saw this family coming towards us, and, and they had this little kid, probably about three years old, walking along with them. And pretty soon, the kid just stops. And I'm, I'm not sure. And mom keeps walking, and she gives the typical mom, come on, type of thing. Everybody done that? Yep, come on. And all of a sudden, the kid starts to cry. And now he's paralyzed. I guess his feet cannot move one more step further. So the kid starts to cry. And he's just like, ah. she's like, come on. He's, ah. She's not only like 10 feet away from him, 20 feet away maybe. 
and he's like crying. And pretty soon he's like got his hands out like, no, like he can't take one step further. The kid is going into full meltdown mode. And if you've ever had a kid, you've watched them go into meltdown mode, or if you've ever been to Kroger, you've seen another kid go into meltdown mode. The kid is going into meltdown mode, and pretty soon he finally goes level three meltdown mode. And we all know what this is. He throws himself on the ground. I'm not sure what it is about kids, but when they get angry, they lose all strength in their legs, and they just throw themselves on the ground. And pretty soon he's like convulsing on the ground because he doesn't want to take one step further. And I'm just, my whole family's just standing there just like watching, like, this is great entertainment, right? And mom was awesome. She was just laughing at him also, which is the, really the way you have to do it. When your kid's throwing a fit, just laugh at him. It's, it doesn't help to get mad at him. They're not going to understand. Just laugh at him. Um, so maybe that's not great parenting advice. I don't know. But anyway, it works so far for me. But I sometimes feel like as adults, we kind of throw one of those little meltdowns ourselves. When things aren't going our way, when, when things aren't going exactly the way we planned, when life isn't stepping along just perfect, we kind of have our own little meltdown. We kind of, you know, throw ourselves on the ground, you know, lay on the couch, oh, woe is me. Are we there yet? Right, they, we, we kind of do this ourselves and we start to blame other people or God for the situation we're in. And, and all of a sudden, we, we get all this stress and worry because this isn't how things were supposed to be. And I'm, I'm nervous, I'm worried, I'm stressed out. And we start to have this little meltdown. So today, what I wanted to talk to you about is three steps to freedom from stress and worry. Three steps to freedom from stress and worry. And this is number one on your outline, and that is admit I don't know God's plan. Admit it. You don't know God's plan. I don't know God's plan. We don't know God's plan. But you have to admit that. Because you don't know what's coming next. This is what happened to the Israelites. 45 days after 400 years of praying, they don't know God's plan. They're stressed and worried and wondering why they're not sitting around a pot of meat anymore. They don't know God's plan they don't know what to expect. When they were slaves, at least they knew what to expect every day, right? Beatings and, you know, building pyramids and stuff. They don't know what to expect anymore. They don't know God's plan. We can't see the future. We don't know what, what things God has in store for us. But the thing is, God had a plan. Because if we look at the next verse, right after they were complaining about, this, we're going to starve this entire assembly to death, it says this in Exodus 16, 4. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are going to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they follow my instructions. The next minute after they're complaining, God says, I'm going to make it rain like Wonder Bread up in this joint. It's going to be fantastic. Italian bread for you, sourdough for you, just raining bread out in the middle of the desert. The Israelites didn't know God's plan, and we don't know God's plan for our future either. But I know that God says if you're faithful in the little things, he'll reward you with bigger things. But not until you're faithful with the little things will he reward you with the bigger things. 
If you're struggling with money and you're like, man, if I just had an extra $100 a week, my life would be so much better. If I had an extra this, if I, if I had a little bit more money, things would be better. But if you're not handling your money well and making bad decisions with your money, more money's not going to help that. They say like 60% of people that win the lottery go bankrupt. Money doesn't solve all those problems. You thought money was the problem, but it was your behavior that was the problem. So you have to be faithful in the little things before God will bless you with the big things. And maybe you're looking at your life today and you're like, my life is a mess. Anybody ever wake up in the morning thinking, whew, this thing is a mess. The good news is God can turn your mess into your message. But you have to admit you don't know God's plan. You don't know what's coming next. So you have to just be faithful that God has a plan for your life. And I'm always so thrilled and encouraged when I'm going through problems and I get to read Jeremiah 29, 11. Because it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Isn't that awesome, great news today? Even though you feel like the deck stacked against you, God plans to prosper you, to give you hope today. I heard somebody say once, God will never lead us where his grace cannot provide for us or his power cannot protect us. That's good news today. The problem was with the Israelites is everything they were doing on their way to the promised land, they were comparing it to Egypt. They couldn't see how good things were because all they could see is how good things were in the past. They were holding on too tight to Egypt to see that they were now free, that they were able to go wherever they want. They didn't have people whipping them anymore, but they couldn't get past that because they couldn't let go of where they had been. And this is the second thing in your steps, having freedom from stress and worry, and that is number two on your outline. I have to get past my past. I have to get past my past. I'm going to assume some of you are like me, and maybe you've done something you're ashamed of. Maybe you said something, did something 10, 20, 30 years ago, last week. Maybe you did or said something you regret. Maybe you got drunk and did something stupid. Maybe you said something to somebody that you wish you could take back, but you can't. Maybe you had a rough childhood. Maybe your marriage failed, and you just get, can't get past that. Maybe you had to declare bankruptcy, and you just feel like that thing just keeps coming up in your mind all the time. You can't get past your past. Back in the early 90s, I was a big car nut. I'm still a car nut to this day, but I got this car that I started working on and stuff, and, and, and I always wanted to have a really cool car, and so I started fixing up this little car, and I had this, this little Nissan Sentra that I had put a bunch of time and money into, and, 
and, and really wanted to be really cool. And here's a picture of it when it was actually like featured in a magazine back in the 90s and stuff. I loved that car. That car was like my identity. Like people knew me by my car and, and, and knew my car by me. And that car was my entire identity. Everything I had, I had wrapped up in that car. And it, I just identified with it so much. One day I was driving over to my friend Carl's house and I, I dropped my little booklet of CDs. Anybody remember those before they had all this fancy stuff? I dropped my booklet of CDs in the passenger floorboard and I reached down to grab it. And when I looked up, the car in front of me had stopped. And I slammed right into the back of that car with my little Nissan Sentra. I got out of the car, I walk around to the front, and I'm not sure whether I'm going to cry or throw up because my little car is destroyed. And I just felt crushed. Just like everything I had, my identity was just destroyed right there in front of me. But I had some friends and some people that had helped me fix it up and some painter friends and all this stuff. And we were able to get the car all fixed up like new. But the funny thing was, even though it looked new again, I could always see where the damage was. Every time I looked at the front of that car, I remembered what it looked like when all the paint had fallen off and the bumper was smashed in. And the worst part was when somebody would bring it up, hey man, I thought you crashed your car. Thanks, I really wanted to talk about that again. Right, you ever have somebody bring something up that you don't want to talk about, but they're bringing it up anyway? It's like, didn't you wreck your car? Didn't you get drunk at the lake that time? Didn't you hook up with that person at that party? You're like, stop bringing up old stuff. Right, you ever notice people will bring up stuff? Social media is great for that, right? Some long lost person from high school brings up some junk you don't want everybody to know about now, but they bring it up on your page anyway. Didn't you cheat on your spouse? Didn't you declare bankruptcy? Didn't you flunk out of school? People bring up stuff, and for whatever reason, our life can be going so well, and all of a sudden, we're filled with that guilt and that shame and that anger that comes over that bad decision we made in the past. And it and is everything can be going smooth, and all of a sudden, it all just pops back up again. And we're just flooded with this guilt and shame. Or maybe you're one of these lucky, lucky people here today, and you haven't done anything that you feel ashamed about. Thanks for being here, Jesus. But maybe you feel like you've missed an opportunity. Maybe you feel like if you had only played sports in college, your life would have been so much different. If you would have just picked a different major, maybe you would have that job you always wanted. Maybe you shouldn't have broke up with that boyfriend or girlfriend because they could have been the perfect spouse for you. You keep reliving that highlight in your life and, and, and kind of the glory days. I'm reminded of uh, one of my favorite TV shows growing up was Married with Children. I see some nods of disapproval out there. Um, Al Bundy was awesome in that show because he hated his wife, his kids, his job, pretty much everything. But the one thing that Al Bundy hung on to with all his spirit was 
He scored four touchdowns in one game for Polk County High School. That was his whole highlight of his career. He couldn't get past his past. Even if it was the highlight, not the low light, he couldn't get past his past. So for whatever reason, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing that happened, you need to get past that. I heard somebody say, if you don't let your past die, it won't let you live. See, for God, getting the Israelites out of Egypt was pretty easy. He could have done it whenever he wanted, but everything happens in God's timing. Sometimes that's not fun for us, but everything happens in God's timing. In this case, it was 400 years. But this is what God realized, is that even though the Israelites were out of Egypt, he couldn't get Egypt out of the Israelites. That's where the struggle came in. I'm going to show you this map up on the screen. And from the left to the right uh, is where they started and where they ended. The red route is what they took to get from one point to the other. Now, they could have gone straight across, right? Straight line. They say that's about 240 miles. But the journey they took took 40 years to get from Egypt to the Promised Land. Why did God send them on a 40-year journey after 400 years in slavery to get Egypt out of them? It'd be like me saying, hey, we're going to do something crazy. Things are awesome. We're going to walk to Birmingham. Everybody's like, I don't know. Like, Dude, there's free pizza in Birmingham. We're like, okay, let's go. But on the way, we're going to walk through Miami. You're like, wait a second. Miami's not on the way to Birmingham. But that's pretty much the route they took. Because it took 40 years of wandering the desert to get Egypt out of the Israelites. In fact, they say only two people that started the journey finished the journey. Even Moses, who was leading the charge, died before they got to the promised land. Because God realized that was the only way to get the past out of their past. Was an entire generation had to turn over before they could enter the promised land. And do you ever notice that because of your past, sometimes you keep making the same mistakes over and over? You keep doing the same thing because of a mistake you made or trying to relive the glory years of your past? I'm reminded when Paul says this in Romans 7.15, he says, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. We want to lose weight, but we keep going to McDonald's for lunch. We want a better relationship with our kids, but we keep treating them the same way our parents treated us, and maybe that wasn't great. We want to get married, but we keep hanging on to that old relationship from the past and won't let it go. We want to get ahead financially, but we keep borrowing money. We want a better relationship with God, but we keep sinning and breaking his heart. We keep doing what we hate instead of what we want to do. And we don't get past our past and we feel condemned about it. And then not only do we feel condemned about it, then you add something like social media. 
where you're comparing the tragedy of your life to everybody else's highlight reel, because nobody posts their junk on social media. It's just like their happy family picture at the beach. You're like, man, I'm stuck at work and their whole family's at the beach having a blast. No, they're not. They were just yelling at each other like five seconds before they took that picture. Right, but they took 17 pictures to make sure they got the one just right where the little brother's not poking little sister in the face or anything like that. Took them a bunch of pictures. So you're comparing your mess of a life to their highlight reel. And we feel condemned because we know everything we've done, including the stuff people don't even know about yet. So I got some junk in my closet that none of you know about. I'm going to keep it that way. And you have some that you don't want everybody to know about either. We have to get past our past and move on, or we'll spend 40 years wandering our Egypt trying to get to the promised land. But we get so comfortable with where we're at. And even if we want to do the right thing, we can't seem to do it sometimes. We want to do what's right, but we keep doing what we hate. We want to do something, but we just can't seem to do it because we can't get past our past. It reminds me of this video. Watch this. Does anybody else ever feel like that's your life sometimes? Like, I just want to go left. Why can't I go left? I just keep going right, but I want to go left. I just want to change what I'm doing, but I can't seem to do it. But there's good news in the fact that God provided a way for us to get past our past, to finally make that left turn even though we keep going right, to get rid of that feeling of condemnation, of guilt, of judgment. Jesus was sent here to take that guilt and that judgment and that condemnation away from us. Romans 8.1 says, So now those who are in Christ Jesus are not judged guilty. Isn't that great? You are not judged guilty if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I know we have to be reminded of that sometimes because we still feel guilty, but you are not judged guilty if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you do not have a relationship with Jesus, you need to get that locked down because you should not have to live with that feeling of judgment and guilt and condemnation any longer. There's a prayer inside your outline the prayer to become a Christ follower. You can read that to yourself quietly and just believe it in your heart and ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life and he can take away all that pain. And if you do that, I ask you to just mark that next step on your outline or on your bullet or connection card so I can pray for you later this week. So maybe you're tired of wandering and, and you don't know God's plan for your life, but you, you figured out you have to get past your past. Well, what's the next step you need to get freedom from stress and worry? And that's number three on your outline. It is, I have to act on faith. I have to act on faith. If you go on a diet, you cannot quit the diet on day two if you haven't lost five pounds yet. Right? If, if, if you're expecting to lose five pounds two days into your diet, you're never going to be able to stay on a diet very long. You have to have faith that the results will come. If you follow the process, the results will come. But you have to act on that faith. 
You can't just come to the altar and pray to lose weight. You have to act on that faith. You have to believe the best is yet to come. And Jeremiah 29, 11 tells us the best is yet to come. But you have to act on that faith that God will provide. That means if you hate your job and you want a new job, you have to go look for a job. You can't just pray for a job and think one's going to land in your lap. You actually have to like go out and interview and do a resume and connect with people and try to find a job. You have to act on that faith. If you want to get married someday and you're tired of being single, you have to go on a date. That is the first step in action into getting married is actually dating somebody first. You have to get outside your comfort zone. You have to act on faith. The Bible says faith without action is dead. Act on your faith. But acting on your faith also means that that you've left your past in the past because you can't, you can't worry about your past if you're acting on faith that things are going to get better. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this on the screen behind me. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. If you have a relationship with Jesus... Your old life is gone. Leave the past in the past and move on in faith. Act on faith that a new life has begun. Twelve years ago, my family moved to Georgia and we, we joined this church. And when we did, uh, I came with my wife because um, I was being a supportive husband. I was actually an atheist when I came to this church 12 years ago. Not only did I not believe in God, I would argue about his existence with you if you gave me the chance. But God broke through that for me. And now I realize that I am a new person because of that. That old life of me is gone. And thank goodness, because if I was still holding on to that old life, I couldn't be up here talking to you guys today because I would have that feeling of condemnation and judgment on me. But I don't because I have started a new life. Start your new life. Act on faith. Leave the past in the past. If you call yourself a Christian, you cannot let the past smother your faith. You have to keep moving. But sometimes God's going to you, ask you to take the longer route. Hopefully it's not the 40-year route through the desert. Maybe it feels like it sometimes, right? But the Bible says that his word is a light to our path. So if we just follow God's word, he will lead us on the path. If we act on faith, he will lead us on the path we need. But acting on faith means no looking back, no worrying about what happened. So I have this next step for you on your connection card. And this is something we all need to do. And it is... I will get free from me. Because guess what? You are your problem. You can try to blame other people for what's happened in your life, but you not getting past your past and not acting on faith, that's you. You need to get past yourself. I need to get past myself. 
I need to get free from me and all the junk that I feel like I'm carrying around, and so do you. It's not easy. We have to push forward and keep acting on faith. Even when things don't seem great, we have to keep acting on faith, stepping forward, leaving our past in the past. Keep acting on faith. And it's hard to have amazing faith. I, I definitely don't have it. I doubt things all the time. I wish I had, you know, 100% faith all the time that God was going to take care of everything, but I don't. But don't let that discourage you. Have faith and act on that faith. Even Paul said it best, and, and Paul had a, a personal relationship with Jesus. If anybody should have faith, it was Paul. 100% faith is what Paul should have because he was with the man himself and saw everything happen. But this is what Paul says in Philippians 3.13. He says, No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Even Paul struggled with getting past his past he says, I have not achieved that perfect faith yet, but I'm going to keep moving forward. And that's what you need to do today is keep moving forward. Step out of your history so you can step into your destiny. If everybody could rise with me and get ready to worship with the band. Hi, this is Pastor Jeff again. I just want to say I hope you enjoyed today's message. If you would like to support God's work through Stockbridge Community Church, simply go to our website at secview.net. Again, that's secview.net and click the Give tab. We want to thank you again for being with us today. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.